Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, as you can hear, I'm a little bit stuffed up this morning, and uh, I just want to say it had nothing to do with uh, last night's game. Um, if I'd known Seb was going to come with his hat, I would have worn all black this morning. But anyway, can we just have the lights a little bit down on me, please, so make it a little bit easier? <laughs> Uh, we will chat later. <laughs> um, I was really touched by... Um, you can have that. <laughs> by one of the lines of the song we're singing this morning, Holy Spirit, burn your fire <clears throat> within me. And I was kind of reflecting on that as we were sitting there, and I was thinking, look, we just, do we just sing that line as part of a song, or do we really mean it? What would happen if the fire of the Holy Spirit came upon us? I guarantee you wouldn't be sitting there right now, just like you are. Well, something would happen within us. See, this morning, we're, we're all on a journey. Life is a journey. It has a start and it has an end. And there are key things that happen on that journey. And we're here this morning. And I'm up here. But there's another party that's here also. Now you've come here this morning with expectations. I don't know what your expectations are. Maybe, you know, you come to church and, and you're looking to be encouraged or inspired or get a better insight into God's word. Maybe you've come here this morning because you'd like to meet somebody else, a new friend. Maybe you've come here, you're feeling a bit sick, a bit down, you've had a lousy week, and just want a bit of encouragement. We've all got expectations as we come here this morning. On the other side, God has expectations too. He is here with us, and he's got expectations of what he wants to do, and he wants to do with you as an individual, and with us as a church. Is that a fair comment? So our lives kind of intersect, and some of those intersections or places where we meet, it can be a clash of two worlds, God's world and our world. And sometimes that's quite a gentle thing, and other times it's like putting a hand in a fire. <laughs> you really know something's happened. And I, wanna, I, would, I would love to feel that this morning, when we leave here, we actually feel we've put a hand into God's fire a little bit. Because I need the fire of God in my life yeah. as much as I guess most of you feel that you need it as well. So what we're going to do this morning is continue last week in a different way, looking into the mirror of God's truth. And it probably raised a few questions for you last week, and that's good. Um, it's interesting, I, I just want to put up a comment by William Booth. And uh, he was the founder of the Salvation Army. Now, this is his comment about the 20th century, not the 21st, okay? He said, The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. How correct was he? That's good. I think he was 100% correct. What would he say about our generation today? What would he say about the world we're living in, which is quite a different world than the world um, he was in. I'm going to pray now, and then we're going to look at two stories. One is a short video clip, 
And the other is a story of where Jesus met with the rich young ruler. And we're going to have a look at that and explore it and see what God says to it, says to us in it. So let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your truth. It's, it's living, it's alive, and it speaks to our hearts and has the ability to transform us as we take it on board and as we seek to live it out. So I just pray, Lord, as, as I share this morning, that your fire would come upon us, would touch us, and, and would speak to us and would encourage us. Lord, we just thank you for your love and for your caring for all of us. And for this church, you, I know you want to make this church into a different place. You want to have this church where it's overflowing and has a huge impact in the community. And so we just ask that your spirit would speak to us this morning. Amen. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Let's just have a look at this first video clip. Quite an interesting one. You'll recognize the guy. You've got a high-powered rifle and Adolf Hitler is in your sights. Do you take him out? Absolutely. Okay. So you didn't hesitate. It's about 30 or 40 years earlier. You've got Mrs. Hitler in your sights. She's Miss, Mrs. Hitler, 30 years earlier, 40 years earlier. She's pregnant with Adolf. Do you take her out? If I had knowledge that she was giving birth to Hitler, absolutely. So you wouldn't hesitate? No. Do you believe in God's existence? I believe in higher power, yes. Okay. Do you think it's wrong to kill? Yes. But it's okay to take Hitler out because he was going to kill six million Jews? Kill one, save thousands. Save millions? Save millions. Innocents. Now, do you believe in an afterlife? Yes. Think heaven exists? Yes, more or less. What do I have to do to get a heaven? Um, I guess be a genuinely good person. And Are you a genuinely good person? For the most part. What about the other part? Well, not so much. <laughs> have you ever lied and stolen? Absolutely. So you're a lying thief? I was at one point, yes. Have you used God's name in vain? Yes, I have. And do you know what you do when you do that? Blasphemy. And Jesus said, if you look with lust, you commit adultery in the heart. Have you ever looked at someone with lust? Yes. So by your own admission, you're a lying thief, a blasphemer, and an adulterer at heart. That's four of the Ten Commandments. So if God judges you by the Ten Commandments on the Day of Judgment, do you think you'd be innocent or guilty? Innocent. Why? Because I've made peace with myself and the higher power. And How did you do that? I believe in forgiveness. That's all you have to do, believe in forgiveness? Pretty much. So Adolf Hitler could have done the same thing? I suppose so, if he had the chance. So what did he have to do, just say, I make peace with the higher power? No, he would have to apologize to the Jewish community and all of that, and make peace more than one way. So how did you apologize to those that you lusted after? I didn't pursue them. <laughs> what about those you stole from and lied to? I did apologize. All of them? All of them. And the blasphemy? Never apologize for that. <laughs> so. It's Nikki? Yes. Nikki, if you stand in a court of law and you're guilty of robbing a bank and shooting a person as you went out and you said, Judge, I want to say I'm sorry for shooting the guy and for robbing the bank, so I'm out of here. The judge said, what are you talking about? Apology's not enough. You have to go to prison. You have to be punished because you've done wrong. So with God, exactly the same applies. To be forgiven, it's more than an apology. A payment has to be made. Do you understand that? Yes. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So if you die in your sins and God gives you justice on the day of judgment, you'll be guilty like the rest of us. And the Bible makes it very clear you'd end up in hell. And I wouldn't lie to you, this is real serious. All liars will end up in hell and thieves and blasphemers and fornicators and uh, okay, those that Josh, look thanks. lust. Yeah, do you know it's what? a pretty interesting story, isn't it? 
Uh, Ray Comfort's a great guy and, um, uh, you know, his style of evangelism is not everyone's style, and I'll acknowledge that, but it's certainly one interesting style. Now, I want to have a look at the story of the rich young ruler this morning. This is an incredibly amazing, powerful story. If we could have that up, Josh, and um, we'll read it and uh, see what, what happened. So what we're going to do is try and peel back the layers a little bit. Just have a look into the story. And next couple, there we are. And um, Because if we believe that Jesus was truly God incarnate, we see Jesus interacting with another human being. And there's lots of things that we can learn off that, okay? So as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Next one. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, and you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this the man's face fell, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. And disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Interesting story. So we're going to peel back some of the layers. I want you to put your thinking caps on because there's some critical things here we need to think about as we approach um, the issues and challenges in today's world. And along the way, I want to teach you about how to catch a monkey. Now, I know that some of you have monkey problems in your gardens. And so I want to teach you how to catch a monkey, okay? Is that all right? Yeah. Cool, thanks. So... Let's just have a look at the story of the rich young ruler. Really interesting, this guy, the word ruler is a Greek word which means one who has administrative authority, he's a leader or an official. And this guy probably would have been in charge of a synagogue. So he was a really respected guy in his community and wealthy to boot. Man, he'd be a great guy to have in a church, wouldn't he? Yeah. You know? And what we have here is that this guy ran up to Jesus and fell on his knees. I mean, if somebody ran up to the front of the church right now and fell on their knees and said, can I get saved, what would you say? You'd be all excited. You'd think all your Christmases had arrived. So 
one of the questions is, we've got to ask, is why did he do that? Was he desperate? Was he lonely? Did he just want to join their band? Or was he, you know, been on a morning run and just sort of, you know what I mean? Um, if you go back to the stories beforehand, you'll find where Jesus was been teaching about divorce, and then he was teaching the little kids. So what happened with this guy was that somewhere along the way, what Jesus was doing was raise some questions in this guy's life. In other words, he was responding to what he'd seen Jesus teaching and saying and acting. And it raised questions for him. And there was a deep longing in his heart. And so he was actually moved to actually do something about it. And I think that's really exciting because that should be the same with us. As a community and as individuals, what we say, what we do, and how we act should actually raise questions for other people. You with me? So, you know, as a community, people should be asking, well, why are they doing that? Why is that happening? Because as a community, we are supposed to be radically different. As a follower of Jesus, I am going in a different way to the way the rest of the world is. So my morals and values and ethics are all different. And that should raise some questions among the people that we're, we live with or work with or community, and the same with the church. So Jesus' example is, is something that I think we need to look at. Remember last week I quoted from 1 Peter. It says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So... This guy fell on his knees and he asked this incredible question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now just imagine if you're an evangelist and a guy comes running up to you and says, falls on his knees, I want to get eternal life, how do I get it? And particularly if he's rich, you can imagine some of the American evangelist's eyes would be popping out. You know, they'd be thinking in their mind, this is great, let's get this guy saved. And uh, he can be really helpful in our church. We've got this great thing we're doing, and you know he's got a lot of money. That'd be cool. I mean, that's how people think. You go, go through the cut off under the layers and that. And Jesus, interestingly, didn't say to him, "Well, just say this little prayer, buddy, and you're in." And this is one of the reasons why this story is so important. He just didn't say to him, "Just say this little prayer." And you're going to be part of my group. You've got eternal life. Now, so often people say, all you need to do is just accept Jesus and you'll be saved. Well, this guy had a lot going for him. He was looking for eternal life. God has put eternity in the hearts of men. People are often looking for something a little bit beyond. So how do we respond? How do we actually deal with people that are searching? Well, you know, here, when, when this guy comes up to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked him a question. Now, that is incredibly important. Because what he was doing with the question was actually digging in under that guy's skin and asking him some very important, about some very important issues, as we'll see. See, he asked him a question. Because he kind of wanted to know the motive or what was going on in that guy's head, digging a little bit deeper. Now, let me give you an example. 
Um, if somebody came up to you and said, why are you a Christian? That's a good question, isn't it? It's a really good question. But the question is, why are they asking it? Is it because they're actually genuinely interested in wanting to know what being a Christian is? Are they, are they, have they noticed something about you and they really want to ask you what it means to be a believer? Or do they know a friend who's gone to a, a Pentecostal church that's way out in left field and they're really concerned? Or is it because they think you're a nutter? <laughs> now, unless you ask the questions and get to the assumptions behind those questions, you're never going to be able to give a proper answer. You hear what I'm saying? So if somebody asks you a question, ask them a question back, which is exactly what Jesus did. And he dealt with a person's assumptions, and that's what I want to have a look at a little bit this morning. Have, can we have a, put the thing about assumptions up, please, Josh? It's a couple of long. Uh, so an assumption is, is a thing that is accepted as true or certain to happen without proof. So... Jesus asked the question, he said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So he actually shifted the focus away from himself to God's standards. Now, the assumption was, I believe that this guy had, was that Jesus was a good guy, and I'm a pretty good guy, so if he's a pretty good guy, then I must be okay. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay, And therefore he thought, well, because in Jewish culture, it's important to understand this, that if you were wealthy, it was generally assumed that it was because you were blessed of God. Okay, You can have a look in a number of Psalms and places like that, and it's true. If you live God's way, you can be blessed financially. So in Jewish culture, it was assumed that if a man was wealthy, he was blessed of God. Unfortunately, it's not true in reverse. <laughs> okay, so Jesus was digging a little bit deeper here. And uh, this guy thought he was pretty good. And, um, you know, he hadn't done this and hadn't done that. So he was fine. And so Jesus was probing his assumptions, taking away the assumption that because he was comparing himself with another person, and thought, well, the other person's good, I'm pretty good, therefore I'm okay. Do you know what I'm saying? I'll show you in a minute, a little bit deeper, in typical New Zealand culture. But I want to show you an ex an, an, another example of where Jesus dealt with assumptions that people had. You remember the story of the um, woman caught in the act of adultery? And these guys came up and said, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery, you know, we need to stone her kind of thing. Interesting, the man wasn't there. Um, and uh, just a little aside. And Jesus knelt down in the dirt and he started writing in the dirt. And they kept pushing questions to him. And he said to her, and we don't know what he was writing, but you can assume it was maybe words like commandments, lust. And you look at somebody. You imagine Jesus looking at you and you knew you were guilty of lust or you're a liar, an adulterer a murderer, a cheat. And the end of the story, he, he, he looked at, they all walked away. And what he had done is he had taken away their assumption that they were on the moral higher ground, therefore they had a right to kill the woman. He had done it in a very clever way. 
Amazing. So they'd remove their assumptions. See what I'm saying? Yeah. You come to New Zealand culture, and uh, <clears throat> really interesting when we start looking at um, how we live. In, in our culture, we're incredibly hedonistic and uh, agnostic, atheistic at worst. And yet, when we deal with death, we are incredibly religious. How often do you read in the paper when somebody gets killed or killed in a tragic accident or something? You hear, they were such an amazing person. They're always caring. They were the life of a party. And I'm not denigrating people and saying that they may have been. But the assumption is, and it goes on, people say they're looking down upon us now. They're one of the stars in heaven looking down upon us. The assumption that goes with that is this. Because they were a good person, therefore they are acceptable to God and are in heaven. Okay? And an assumption is something that we accept as true or certain to happen without proof. And so that's one of the issues today. We compare each one with another. And in Kiwi culture, if you say to somebody, he's a good guy, what are you implying? We accept him. He's one of us. He's a good guy. It's cool. We accept him. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's a little bit different. Because we're not accepted by God because of our goodness or what we do. We're accepted by God on a completely different basis. Now, this is absolutely critical for evangelism. It's critical for our worship and all the rest of it. Because if we think otherwise, we're going to end up with half-baked disciples who have no sense of gratitude or understanding grace or mercy or the, or the works of God. Make sense? Okay. So Jesus said to the man, why do you call me good? How do you measure goodness? That's really what he was saying. Is it by looking at someone else and comparing yourself? Or is it by comparing yourself with the standards of God? And that's why he asked them about the Ten Commandments. That's why he said, um, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. It's interesting they left out the first commandment. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Don't give fault with false witness. And the guy said, well, look, I've kept all those since I've been a boy. In other words, in my eyes, I am a good person. I've done everything that's required. And it says here, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now that is an incredibly powerful phrase. He looked at him and loved him. Now, why is that comment put in there? I believe it's put in there because true love speaks truth. True love is not soft. It doesn't give easy answers. And I think it's in, in a way where we've compromised in the church for a while. True love speaks the truth in love. Okay? So Jesus said to him, well, one thing you lack. Go away and sell everything you've got and come and join me. It's pretty tough, wasn't it? What was he addressing there? He was addressing the fact that this guy had another God. He was violating the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And this guy was not prepared to do that. Jesus put his finger right on the very mark. 
Is that an act of unkindness or is that an act of love? See, the issues are this. Jesus was talking about an eternity as opposed to a lifetime. What does it profit a man if he gains the world and loses soul? What did Jesus want with this guy? He wanted everything that the kingdom of God had for him. And this guy wasn't prepared to let what he thought was really important in life go. And so it's an incredibly powerful story. Now, I said it before, and by the way, we don't know what happened afterwards. This guy may have come to his senses down the track. <clears throat> but I was going to, I said before, I'll teach you how to catch a monkey. Now, I know that a few of you got monkey problems. So, this is how you catch a monkey. Now, aren't they lovely monkeys? And you've seen them around at all? Okay, so you get a gird. Next one, Josh, please. Get a gird. And what you do, one of those things, got really hard shell on you. You, you, you can cut the top off or a different shape. One, next one, please. And what you do is cut a hole in it and you attach it to a chain. And what you do is you put it somewhere, you attach that chain to, and, and what happens is you put something really bright and shiny in the middle of the gird. Okay? So when the monkey comes around your place at night and he looks into this gird and he sees this lovely thing there and he thinks, wow, I'd love to have that. He puts his hand in, puts his hand around it and grabs it. And guess what? Tries to pull his hand back out because he hears a door open or something. Tries to pull his hand out and can't pull his hand out. And he's caught. He's trapped. Yes. And try it in your garden sometime. <laughs> I believe that is a key illustration of what Jesus was talking about. If you want your freedom, you have to let go of what is supremely important to yourself. You cannot have your cake and eat it too in God's kingdom. It's a radical change of direction for a person, and the same can be said of a church. If we want to take a radical change of direction and fulfill what God has for us to the church, we may have to let go of some things. You know, the worst thing churches do is they don't have funerals for things that they've kept going for years and they just become an institution, we're supposed to be a living body, an organism. So, another good illustration of this is the Pearl of Great Price. Jesus told these parables so that people would know. This merchant saw this incredible pearl, and he wanted it. He sold everything he has in order to get that pearl. That's a picture of the kingdom of God. So it's a new life. It's not a retread. It's not an add-on. We don't add Jesus onto our current lives. We have a dynamic change of direction. We become a new person. And it's really interesting that it, this thing touches on so many different aspects of biblical truth. It takes us right back to Genesis 2. Because in the Garden of Eden, um, man was given a restriction. One restriction. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, don't be a self-referencing point for all your morals and values and ethics. And that's what this guy was doing. But Jesus gave him the integrity, as it were, of a moral choice. Look, there's a lot of countries in the world today, some religions where you don't have that choice. Christianity gives you that choice. You have a moral and ethical choice as to what you will do. You're not compelled to do it. But the issues are there. What we're talking about is, is choices for eternity. But I'm not going to force you 
into making a decision for Jesus. I'm not going to tell, lie to you about what the costs are. And so Jesus goes, goes on, this guy went away and he was sad. He was really sad. But the tragedy is he was sad about the wrong things. <laughs> How do you think God felt at that stage? He was sad because this guy was like the monkey holding onto some silver baubles instead of the kingdom of God. Tragic, eh? And Jesus said, well, look, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And it's true. It's hard. It was a defining moment. A defining moment for the rich young ruler because he decided to go a different way. But it was also a defining moment, I suggest, for his disciples. I want to come back to that later. I say, you might be here this morning and you might identify with a rich young ruler. You're a self-made person, you've done really well and you think you're a good person. Well, you may be compared to me, other people around, Kiwi culture, we're all good people. Compared to God's standards, you actually need to get saved. You've violated God's commandments and you can hang on to your money. But in the end, when you die, it's not going to be worth that much. What Jesus offers you is a life in eternity. The life of God now. And it's interesting, he goes on right at the end and Jesus said, well, anyone who gives up something, I'm going to repay it more and more and more. You're going to get far more out of it. That's the deal. question is, are you prepared to pay the price? I was in Japan many, many years ago. Great experience. And I used to say to people, because um, we had quite a bit to do with churches and that. I say to people, when did you become a Christian? Do you know what they said to me? Every time, without fail, I was baptised at a certain point. Why did they talk about baptism as opposed to when they actually were born again? Baptism was the public display. That's when you came out. And in the Japanese culture, that's when the proverbial hit the fan. They're all happy to be secret Christians, but the moment you became a believer and it became a public thing, that's when you had to pay the price. If you become a Christian in Muslim countries today, what do you think is going to happen? You'll most likely be killed. There is a huge price to pay. You will be killed. It's happening in the Western world now. So, see how important it is to look in the mirror of God's truth. And find out how Jesus actually interacted with people. So let's have a look at the different players in the story. Because again we see some insights here. Well there's a rich young ruler. Jesus put his finger on the spot and gave him a choice. And he chose to walk away. There are consequences both ways. There was Jesus. There was the onlookers. Now if you're going to Middle Eastern culture... They're not English. They don't, sit, they don't respond in the way that English people do and just hold close to their feelings. They are explosive in their expression. I mean, when Jesus first went into the synagogue, they tried to throw him over a cliff. <laughs> you see what I mean? They're explosive. They're expressive. So there would have been a lot of people here listening to how Jesus interacted with this person. You know what some of them have been saying? How dare he? We've known that guy for years. He's our leader in our synagogue, and he's so generous. What right does he have to say that he doesn't have eternal life? They're operating out of their assumptions as well. There would have been some real anger there. 
But on the other side, there would have been people who would have questioned, why is he saying that? Would have rung true. If you went into the Middle East today and suggested that one of their religious leaders wasn't going to heaven because he didn't bail the rules, what do you think would happen to you? You'd probably be killed. I kid you not. But the interesting thing was, I wonder why they didn't throw stones at him. I wonder it was because of the way Jesus actually spoke to them, acted. This brings us to the last um, group that I want to talk about just briefly. Is the disciples. Now, they were blown away too. And they were amazed, absolutely amazed. And in a way, that's good. Shouldn't we be continue to be amazed at what God does? Yeah. You know, what Jesus says? They were amazed. They saw how Jesus dealt with somebody in quite a difficult situation. Like, it's interesting that Jesus didn't destroy the person. He didn't try and argue with them. He didn't try and put them down. He didn't try and make them feel inferior. And, but he dealt with them in love. It's really interesting. If you just take one of the disciples, and you take the, the disciple John. Now, John wrote some beautiful letters at the end of the New Testament. What are the two threads that go through all of John's letters? Truth and love. Where did he find truth and love? It didn't pop out of the sky. He understood the dynamic and the importance of truth and love because he had walked with Jesus and he'd seen Jesus in so many situations speak truth into the lives of people, but do it in a way that was incredibly loving and compelling. And I think that is a message for us. That is how we are to deal with people that may be going in a different direction. Don't agree with us. That's how we're to live out our Christian lives and our families. We speak truth to our children. We speak in love. We speak to our wives and our husbands, truth and love. The two go together. And they're the two of the most compelling things that we can express and experience as believers. When I come to a church, I want to know that there's truth going to be preached. I also want to know that I will be loved and accepted for who I am, warts and all, and I've got plenty of them. <laughs> and they're the two things that I'm looking for in a church. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we see it here just in a microcosm. And that's the wonder of Christianity. So it's an amazing story, isn't it? Amazing story. So isn't this how we're to be living as a group of God's people, doing what Jesus did so incredibly well, communicating his truth in a way that's clear, challenging, compelling, and loving, but in a way that raises questions? There are lots of questions. Lots of people walking around with questions after that interaction. Shouldn't we be a community that expresses love in a radical way? We go beyond what we really need to do. What about walking the journey of life with a group of other like-minded people learning and growing? Because that's what the story's about. It's not just about the rich young ruler. It's about the disciples learning on the journey together. And imagine the discussions after that. That's healthy. It's great. It's good. They may not have all agreed, but at least, you know, they were learning on the way. So, yeah, are we really doing that? That's why it's important for us to look in the mirror of God's truth and ask ourselves some hard questions. Are we really speaking the truth? Are we individually living out of the freedom that God, that Jesus has given us? And if not, what are we doing about it? 
Are we really like a radically different community of God's people? And if not, what are we going to do about it? This is not condemning or throwing stones or anything. It's saying, look, we need to look in the mirror of God's love and God's truth and ask some hard questions. Because the option is to... We've got several options. One option is just continue as we're going. I don't think, really think that's an option. I think all of you want something more. You can't have more unless you're prepared to die to what's already here. You have to let go in order to take hold of what God has for us. And that's what I'd love to see. So it's hard. The rich young man ruler had a defining moment in his life, and so did the disciples. And uh, maybe this morning's been a bit defining for some of you. At the service, start of the service, I talked about expectations. And the worship team can come up now, Amy, if you, if you want to come up. Um, I talked about expectations that we had this morning and the expectations that God had for meeting with us. And sometimes they meet in what's going on in our heart. In other words, God speaks to us and we, we suddenly get this, wow, I, you know, just this deep longing. So... What I'd like us to do now, just for a couple of minutes, is, is this. Just turn to the person next to you, a couple of, couple of people, and just say, look, you know, just say, there's one thing that's spoken to me this morning. It might have been that thing I said at the start about the Holy Spirit becoming a fire in our heart. That may have really touched you like it touched me. But just turn to the other person and say, look, is there one thing that God's really spoken to you this morning? Or something you'd long to see happen in our church. And just take a couple of minutes praying for each other. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning you don't, and you don't, want to, or you don't want to pray, that's okay. That's fine. That's, that's cool. That's great. So just relax. So you don't want to do that for a couple of minutes? Let's turn to the person next to you and say, look, etc. Okay? And then we'll kick off some worship. stand with us and let's just finish with some worship.
hands be clean and this heart be pure blameless as the bride you're coming forth and it's the power of your presence that changes us your glory Pray. 